0: Please be seated. I mentioned the earlier service, I probably should have changed my message to more turn and burn, but there's a lot of grace in TAMP meetings as well, right? Amen. 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 Well, I'm Dick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Covenant Church, and I want to welcome you to this morning's worship service. It still is morning, barely, and uh, we're so glad you are with us. Now, many of you know that I was ordained here in this church over two decades ago, And God called us into the formal ministry. We served in Tucson for about four years and Lake Tahoe, suffering for Jesus for 17 years. (laughs) But we knew this was always going to be our home. We chose to live in Sumner some 30 years ago, and we were so sure we wanted to be back in Sumner. We bought a house here 11 years ago just to make sure we bought it at the height of the market, paid way too much for it, but we have a house in Sumner And the good thing is, we finally got to sleep in it as owners in October when we moved back. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we love Sumner. Sumner has a great sense of community. Now, I think it might be a building code, but almost every house has a front porch. Now, that kind of changes the attitude a little bit. so often, we drive in our driveway, make the door go open, and we close, and we never know our neighbors. Um, We lived in the same house at Tahoe for about 15 years. We probably knew 10 or 12 of our neighbors. Fourth of July, we met 20 of our neighbors in the cul-de-sac at a party. I love that part. We love that part of Sumner. We think the schools are great. Our kids went to schools here until we were called to the ministry. We like the view. And over the last six weeks, we've seen Mount Rainier every single day. And it's melting. Oh, at at least it was. And uh, we love the church. It is so nice to be home again. We love being closer to family and friends. But there's something else that I personally really love. We are on city sewers. <laughs> now, of all the homes we've owned, and over the years we've had quite a few, we've had three on septic systems. Septic systems, when they work, work really well. But I remember the first house we owned on a septic system came home one day it was the mid 80s not temperature but the mid 1980s and uh, there was this brown foul mucky liquid coming up through our drain in our shower that is not a good thing not at all I thought it was just a septic tank called the pump company they came out it wasn't septic tank no which meant then I was going to be digging from the septic tank to the house After an hour, I was about ankle-deep in brown caca, smelly. (laughs) An hour later, I was knee-deep in that same stuff, realized the pipe was broken, repaired the pipe. Now, two lessons I learned. Number one, I really prefer city sewers. (laughs) And number two, having been knee-deep in that awful caca, I got a better feel for what was happening in one of our characters in our scripture lesson this morning, the lost son, who was knee-deep in pig caca when he came to his senses. Now, this morning's passage is the third of three lost and found passages that we read in a row in the Gospel according to Luke. The first of these lost and found passages is the lost sheep. We all know that one. A shepherd had 100 sheep. One of them wandered off. And the shepherd left the 99 in a safe place and went after the one, found it, and celebrated. The second lost and found parable was of the lost coin. A woman had 10 coins. She lost a coin, and she searched all over her home for that coin. And when she found it, she celebrated because the lost coin was found. Now, our passage this morning that we're going to be looking at is the lost son. It comes out of the gospel according to Luke. It is chapter 15, verses 10 through 24. We're going to be picking up the very last verse of the lost coin parable, and then we're going to pick up the parable of the lost son. Now, just a reminder, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, did it really happen? We're not sure, but Jesus uses it a teaching point. So, it's a story that is earthly, but there's a true heavenly meaning in the midst of it. So I encourage you to follow along silently. If you want to follow on the screen, it'll be up there. It's also on page 1624 in our Pew Bibles. And this is Jesus speaking. I encourage you to listen to the words recorded by the historian and uh, physician Luke and hear God's message to each and every one of us about his, his extravagant love, his extravagant grace, his extravagant forgiveness. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between the sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Please join with me in prayer. Ah, Lord God, it is truly a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor to be worshiping you here in this place. This day, Lord, Lord, we thank you for your word made flesh and your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your written word. This day, Lord, we ask you to illuminate our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit. We might hear the message you have for us and Lord, we might apply it in our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lost sons, lost son is is a little bit, a little bit like a rebel. He kind of wanted to do it his way. Convention said he never should have asked for his share of the estate. Convention said he should have been there. Tradition said he should have been on his property with his father. And, and when his father died, he and his brother would have continued farming that same property. A little bit of a rebel. I wonder, any of us that way at times in our lives, maybe even a little bit today, we want it our way? We don't necessarily want to follow what we think maybe we should be doing. Maybe there are some parts of our lives we haven't fully surrendered to the Lord. It could be. Certainly some parts of my life that God's far from done with me yet. Uh, Just ask my wife, Mary Kay. She's not here, so you can't ask her. It's a good thing. But uh, maybe there are some parts of our lives that are that way. Now, of all of Jesus' parables, this is probably the one we know the most. We could probably run through the outline of that um, from memory. We know this story. Father has two sons. The younger son comes and asks his father for his share of the inheritance. Now, kids ask for money all the time, but this is a little more than $20 for gas. Under that tradition back then and what would have been expected, the older son would have gotten two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would have gotten one-third. Pretty significant, pretty significant. And then the father does divide up the estate. The son takes his third, and he goes in off into some foreign country and spends all of his money on wild living. be a lot of money to spend on wild living. We're not sure of all the details, but it must have been pretty wild to blow through all of that money that quickly. And in his son, knee-deep in kaka, a young Jewish man, in pig caca, feeding pigs, comes to his right mind, comes to his senses, and begins to go back home. And he comes with a strategy, I'll tell my father I've sinned against heaven and against him, and gosh, just bring me back as a hired hand. Well, that's the story. Now, for those of us who hear it in 2015, we think, gosh, that that son was pretty reckless, pretty wasteful for what he did. Certainly wasn't honoring his father, but We don't hear it the same way Jesus' original hearers would have heard it. Significantly different to those original hearers. Ken Bailey is a a Christian author. And uh, he took a look at this particular passage and did a lot of research on Middle Eastern literature. And could not find another instance when a son would ask his father for his inheritance before the father was dead. Simply unheard of. Never done. He went to Israel and, and spoke with other authorities and uh, found out that if a son were to have asked that question, he would have been ostracized from his own home, from his father, and most likely from the community. It was simply unheard of, and yet that's what this son did. And what the son was saying is, I can't wait till you die. I want you dead now so I can have my share of your estate. Offensive. But the son did that. And what was even overshadowed was the father agreed. And the father gave his sons two-thirds for the older son and one-third for the younger son. Now, the community should have been appalled at this point. We don't necessarily know that, but if you go that far against traditions and what was expected, most likely the community was looking down at this particular family, the father and this younger son. Now, The text says that the son took all that he had and went to a foreign country, but it's not that simple because what the son had was mostly land, one-third of the father's land because that's where value was. That's where wealth was held. It was held in the land that had gone from generation to generation to generation. This land was considered their economy, how they made their money. It was their, their generational home, and there's also a spiritual component And what the son needed to do was to literally sell his share of that property. Now, the town folks already heard about this. The village knew all about it. I can imagine that when the son went to try to sell his land, many people would simply shun him, ostracize him. Somebody obviously bought the property. I'm going to guess he got a pretty good deal on it. But somebody bought the property. So the son takes all that he has and goes to a foreign country, spends it all in wild living, and ultimately runs out of money finds himself feeding the pigs. Now, a good Jewish boy would never go near a pig. Pig is unclean. And here is this Jewish boy knee deep in Kaka. And he comes to his senses, our text says, and he begins to put together a plan. We almost want to think that it was a plan of seeking forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation with his father. It almost sounds that way. I'll go to my father and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I don't deserve to be your son. Make me one of your workmen. I don't think it was that way. I think this son simply ran out of money and options and wanted to go home and be fed. It was a strategy to fill his stomach. Not an aspect of true repentance. Not an aspect of seeking forgiveness. Not an aspect of truly wanting to change. Truly wanting to change. And so the son goes. And our text says that the father saw the son a long ways off. Now, I don't really think that the father just happened to be walking by and goes, oh, there's my son. Isn't that coincidental? I think the father looked for his son every day. Many, many times every day. Scanned the horizon hoping his son would. Would come back. Even though his son did everything wrong, he wanted his son back. And no doubt the village knew that as well and looked down on the father for wanting his son back after all that the son had done to him. But the father sees his son. And then the father does something totally unheard of he runs to his son. Now, we see men running all the time today. Some of us don't run as fast as we used to, but men run all the time. But in Jesus' day, dignified men wore long robes, and they walked slowly and kept their head up, looking dignified. Running was totally unacceptable, and the villagers would have known this father ran. He grabs his robes and, in a sense, gro- what's it, Gird your loins. So he girded his loins and ran after his son and reached down and hugged his son our text said, kissed him. And the Greek, the language is, he continually kissed him. Not once, but was continually kissing his son. Now, this son probably hadn't bathed since his time with the pigs. So this was a real act of love on the part of the father. A real act of love. Now, on your bulletins and up here is a picture of Rembrandt's painting that he did in 1668. This is a return of the prodigal son. This is actually in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg. Have any of you been blessed to see it? I mean, Mary and I were able to go at our 40th anniversary, and it is a huge painting. I was like, whoa! And you get to see the kind of detail in the whole painting you could never see in anything smaller than that. But it seems that Rembrandt has caught such a beautiful image of the father and the son's interaction. And here you have the father in the robe. He looks tired, but he's got a gentle spirit about him. The son in rags, head virtually shaved. And if you look, the left hand of the father looks different than the right hand. The left hand Rembrandt made strong to protect his son, to help him. The right hand, a little more slender and delicate, showing the compassion and the love. What a beautiful image. The son who wronged his father in so many ways, wronged the community in so many ways, Rembrandt catches that. Now, if you had the whole picture, you would see the son's feet, and they're filthy dirty. One sandal is barely on, one is off between his feet as he's kneeling down. It's believed that there are four other figures, and though it's very difficult to see uh, what you see with the hands like this, that's most likely the older brother. The older brother, and if you saw his face, he's looking down in disgust. Now, Rembrandt took a little liberty on this because if you know the story, um, the older brother was in the fields when the father ran to the younger son. So Rembrandt kind of put things together, but it's wonderful to see that, just the disdain on the part of the older brother. The gentleman seated is believed to be one of the villagers, and he has that same look. What are you doing? There's two women in the picture. You don't see them. One's supposed to be another villager, and one is supposed to be the mother. So we believe. But what an image of the father reaching down, giving this son unbelievable love. Now, our text continues. Before the son gets all of his uh, spiel out, his strategy, the father says, Hey, bring the best robe, bring the ring, and bring the sandals. The best robe, meaning he's coming in to be part of the family again. He's being welcomed. The ring would be the signet ring, representing the father in the family. So he's being back in with power and authority. And the sandals are being brought because only free men and women wore sandals. If you were a slave, you would be barefoot. He's being brought in to full sonship, brought back. What a wonderful image. And then there's a wonderful celebration. He says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's celebrate. And no doubt at this point, the entire village is going to be invited. It's a free meal. They'll get over their disdain for the family. And so probably he was being welcomed back into the community as well. What was once lost was found. Now, this is known as the parable of the lost son. It's also known as the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. You know what prodigal means? Recklessly, wastefully, extravagant. Recklessly, wastefully, extravagant. Why would we call the son recklessly, wastefully, extravagant? He was certainly reckless and wasteful in the way he took one-third of the entire estate. And he was certainly extravagant in the way he wasted it on on, uh, the kind of living he was doing in that foreign country, wild living but it really doesn't make as much sense to call the son the prodigal. Probably makes more sense to call the father the prodigal. Because the father who gave extravagant grace and love, where people around him thought it was wasteful and reckless, he simply gave that grace. Unearned, undeserved. The only effort the son made was to turn and go back to the father. And the Father still gave that wonderful, extravagant grace. That truly is the picture of God and his love for you and for me. Regardless of where we may be in our lives, God loves us. If we make that turn, take one step toward him with a sincere heart, God's going to run the other 99 to meet us. Now, some of us have prodigals in our families, lost sons. I'm not going to go into detail, but we have a 38-year-old who's very much a lost son. And as much as we have tried to run after him and save him multiple times, he's still knee-deep in his own caca. And you know, when we have a loved one like that, a son, a daughter, a parent, a friend, boy, we could do all the interventions we want. We can say all the things we want, but the reality is we pray, we watch, and we wait. And the moment that person makes that turn, sincerely seeking God, seeking what God has to offer, God will run those 99 steps toward him. And we, as parents, we, as loved ones, we who are caring friends, will make that same run toward that lost individual who's knee deep in caca with that sincere effort. So, wherever you may be today, whatever may be going on in your life, God offers that unbelievable, extravagant grace. You don't earn it, you really don't deserve it, but God offers it. Amen. I think we're up. Oh, I thought he was going to do a It's busy. a different service. <laughs>